Welcome. You're listening to Value Add with Lars Coburn, bringing conversations and reflections that add value to your life. Hey, everyone. So in March, I want to highlight some conversations with uh, other youth ministers and people that are friends of mine in ministry. So uh, this first conversation is with Zach Lubin, uh, the youth and family minister at Culver Palms Church of Christ. And Zach is part of my youth ministry group, and so we talk a little bit about that. Uh, we talk a little bit about things that Zach has kind of uh, prodded and brought to my attention so that I could be a better at what I do, uh, better learner. Uh, but also, we talk about how Zach got me a job. So hope you enjoy this episode, and here we go with Zach Lubin at uh, Impact. And I'm here with Zach Lubin, everybody in youth ministry. Hey, everyone. Yeah. Um, we're at Impact. What, what is Impact? Uh, Impact's a middle school retreat that's been going on for, I think, like 30 years now. And um, it's up in the Angeles Crest uh, Mountains um, here in Southern California. And it's run by a couple youth ministers. And I think the really cool part about it is uh, we they have high schoolers teaching middle schoolers. And so it's a discipleship program for youth ministries, um, high school youth ministry programs. And uh, it's cool to see middle schoolers getting blessed through uh, being taught by some high schoolers so that's awesome so yeah i mean we're we're at a youth ministry thing so it seems like a good uh good time to talk about youth ministry and how that's added value to uh, our lives um let's see i've i've known you zach for almost a little over three years almost yeah. four years now coming up on four that's right yeah um so let's see i'm trying to think back to the first time i met you it was probably um at the pepperdine bible lectures about four or five years ago, um, and right after that, we were going down to the general session, and this guy with a mohawk gets up to say the the prayer before the evening lecture, and we're also introduced to this idea of um, the fact that there's been youth ministers meeting in Southern California for lunch for a long, long time, and uh, so tell me a little bit about that. You've been part of the group for almost 10 years. Yeah, um, and it's the group started way before I, I showed up. Started with um, some youth ministers recognizing that youth ministry can be an isolating position, um, and so they started getting together uh, once a month uh, for lunch to pray for each other and catch up. And uh, the great thing about that is a lot of Southern California youth ministers um, within the Churches of Christ uh, do summer camps together. They do retreats like Impact together, and so um, it was just sort of natural to get together once a month and, and spend time together. Uh, some have said, and I think it's true, that you can almost gauge longevity in youth ministry in Southern California by how well you, or what level of commitment you make to the group. Um, it's, it's kind of a crazy group, right? I mean, Lars, I know when you first joined the group, you're kind of like, I'm not really sure I want to hang out with these guys very much. Um, but uh, just the camaraderie, um, the ability to lament and... Uh, complain and do it in a safe place where other people understand um, as well as just encourage you know I think um, from an outsider's perspective it can look like we're all we're doing is complaining and being fairly pessimistic about certain things but uh, within that moment there's great encouragement uh, you know there's moments when um, someone is really struggling and it's great to surround that person in prayer and, and feel encouraged and I've had those moments in my ministry and um, I don't think you can make it, you know, more than a couple years in youth ministry without a good group of people who are going to kind of support you and, and understand the, the idiosyncrasies of youth ministry, right? 
Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, just remember thinking to myself, what, what do I, what am I doing driving from San Diego when I first moved down? And sometimes it would take me five hours to get home. Uh, so I'd spend three hours getting there and two hours having lunch and praying, and then uh, five hours in the car ride back. But uh, I would say probably after the first three meetings, I was sold on it. Um, and partly that's, uh, you know, just the nature of youth ministry and the loneliness like you talked about. I'd go back to my church and nobody really understood what I was feeling um, or the things that I was going through with my church leadership who were supposed to understand what I was going through and, and feeling. So uh, definitely that has added value to my life. Um, as I, I think about you in particular, Zach, some of the things that um, we've really learned that you were finishing up your MDiv mm-hmm. um, right as I showed up and and I began to kind of think about doing seminary. So uh, tell us a little bit about your seminary journey and how that's, that's been. You started um, yeah, a long time I, ago. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> I started a long time ago. It took me uh, the same amount of time it takes some people to get a PhD. It <laughs> took me to get my, my, my MDiv. Uh, so I graduated from Pepperdine in 2005 and knew that I wanted to do graduate school, but also knew that uh, my now wife, who I was dating at the time, wanted to get engaged. And we, so we took a year off so I could work and make some money. Um, she wanted to go on and do master's work in uh, therapy. And so uh, through conversations, we ended up at Abilene Christian, and we spent two years there. Uh, Christy got her master's in marriage and family therapy, and um, I did two years of MDiv work. Uh, while working full-time to support, you know, our family. And, uh, you know, Abilene uh, as a school was great. Abilene as a city was not, like, our cup of tea. And so after two years, we decided to head back um, to California. I got a job in full-time ministry. Um, I did that for a full year before I jumped back into my my graduate program, feeling like I just needed um, to honor that time of transition Mm -hmm. and recognize that, Maybe I was doing, I could do too much too quickly. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, you know, I, I commuted from Long Beach to Pepperdine, which um, would take me maybe two hours, two and a half hours some days. Um, and I started off just taking a, a course at a time. Um, you know, talk about adding value um, to your life. I think um, doing that program that way added value to my life and to my ministry um, mm-hmm. because I wasn't so flooded with taking three or four courses, it right. wasn't all theory. I was able to take some of the things that I was list, learning and listening to professors and then immediately incorporate it into ministry without mm-hmm. sort of waiting until the program was done. Um, and sometimes the, the, the results were great and sometimes the results were awful because it just, you know, I was kind of reacting to something in class. And so, uh, but it, it was a great way to finish the program. So uh, I think 2014, I ended up finishing my MDiv at Pepperdine and I uh, got to walk across the stage and it was cool. Uh, my wife was very supportive. I kept thinking, I'm not really sure I need this. Like, do I really need to get a master's? And she was like, look, the only reason why we went to ACU was so you could get a master's. So, you like, you need to finish this. And so I'm thankful for her for, for pushing me and, and, and supporting me. Because, I mean, you know, there were Saturdays we'd wake up and I'd be like, well, do you want to go to Panera for breakfast and then sit and let me read for three hours? <laughs> I got a bunch of reading to do. Yeah, no, I know, and we've talked about this uh, many times, how in many ways our, our wives are what keeps us going in many uh, regards, and they have to put up with a lot more um, things going on in our lives, like this one, where we're away, away from our wives, and yeah. you're also away from your 
a new son. Yep. Um, yeah. That's quite quite exciting. So. <laughs> well, sad. Not exciting. Sad that I'm away. Oh, sad that you're yeah, away, yeah, yeah, but you're yeah, yeah. exciting that I'm a father. Yeah, yeah. I get that what you're a saying. father. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's probably a podcast for another time to talk about uh, family and how how all those things work. Um, I was, I guess, midway through my program. Uh, I'm trying to be done. I'm not doing the MDiv. Yeah. Um, so my program is significantly smaller than yours, but. Um, one of the things that I had never really looked into, um, and so I've struggled with reading. I love reading. Uh, I love what I read, but I don't love the process of digging in mm-hmm. and, um, and trying to, like you said, wake up on a Saturday and, and spend three hours reading. Because um, I would spend three hours and maybe get through you know, a few chapters instead of um, the amount of reading that we have to do in our master's program. And you, you talked about speed reading. So... Um, that that's something I never really yeah. thought about as a as an undergrad um, student going into my master's program either. So talk a little bit about speed reading for us. Yeah, uh, I've always been a fast reader. I think in high school, um, but what I realized um, in my graduate program, and I actually had a professor who said like, "You're not going to survive graduate school unless you learn how to speed read." And um, there's a lot of wisdom in that. I mean, the the amount of reading and the work that um, you go from at least in like uh, religious studies, right? Mm-hmm. So an MDiv or an MA in, in ministry or an MA thesis in New Testament, or Old Testament. You're doing a lot of reading, um, and so learning how to read well and learning how to speed read, learning to read for retention, I think is really important um, uh, because you you're trying to get through maybe three or four books at a time, you know, and you have like two weeks to read three books, and then you're supposed to write, you know, twenty pages. Um, and it's tough, and not only that, but then you're doing research papers, and so you're having to read sources and articles and all these things. And so, um, you know, speed reading is one of those things that uh, has been great. Uh, you know, I've enjoyed it even after my program. I get through books. I, you know, I'm, um, it may not be full comprehension, but uh, enough comprehension that if something happens in a conversation, it can trigger thought like oh I read something about that let me go back and read that chapter or look at that you know article or something like that Um, and just reading in general has been um, something that I've enjoyed in my program and after my program Uh, I try to read a wide variety of things um, to kind of keep just it going one thing that I've realized though is that there's times uh, where you need to not speed read right Mm -hmm. like if I'm reading like a book of fiction or something like that like I don't I don't necessarily need to get through it really, really quickly, and so I want to slow down, and so learning sort of different paces and things like that has been good. Um, I have the great opportunity to teach a, a gen ed class at Pepperdine in Old Testament, and one of the things I tell my students early on is, like, learn how to read well. Like, you don't necessarily know, need to learn how to speed read, but you need to learn how to read books well and, and understand what's happening, so you know, read the foreword or read the introduction. You know, sometimes professors don't um, assign those, but often the introductions are the roadmap to what's happening in the rest of the book. And so if you skip that and you jump right into chapter four, you're kind of like, well, this doesn't make any sense because you don't have the larger context or the larger argument that the, the author's trying to make. So reading the introduction is a great way to, to kind of jump in and do that. So, um, yeah, it the jump from reading compre- uh, the bit, what you need to be able to read and how quickly you need to be able to read is such a jump from like undergraduate to graduate work. It's insane. 
Yeah, and and I just thinking about um, our roles in, with adolescents, and and sometimes that spills over into, uh, you know, in smaller churches like ours, shepherding. Uh, not only elementary kids at times, but also uh, especially college students or young adults. And I think about their, um, just the fact that kind of the assumption would be as youth ministers, we probably wouldn't be reading. We're, right. we're, adole- we're just adolescents we're who've never graduated. We're playing video games and yeah, eating pizza Exactly. And so here we are on a podcast, we're talking about youth ministry and we're talking about reading and reading well. Uh, seems, seems interesting to me. I guess it's not what I envisioned youth ministry being. No. Uh, when I when I looked at some of the youth ministers I knew growing up, well, because uh, there's that, been that shift, like, and you know that at Fuller, because I think um, Fuller Seminary has been really big on kind of unpacking with Chap Clark and and and, and all sort of um, the research that's come out, and so I think all youth ministers now who have kind of come up in the time that we've come up have been really wrestling with this question of, okay, is youth ministry more than video games and pizza, and right. if so, what is it? You know, we're trying to answer those questions and, you know, I'm grateful to Fuller for keep for their um, emphasis and, and willingness to kind of put resources behind that and allow people to research and and then put that out to youth ministers. But I don't think uh, I don't think we've arrived. Like, I think we're, we're still trying to figure it out. We're still trying to marry yeah. um, sort of the fun aspects like mm-hmm. the impact, the zip line, the candy and pizza and video games with the sort of discipleship and mm-hmm. sort of okay let's do some spiritual disciplines and let's talk about faith and life and um, I think our students demand it of us because our students are dealing with such serious things right. at a much younger age it seems like I don't know sociologists may disagree with me but it seems like my 6th and 7th graders are dealing with bigger issues in their lives than I was dealing when I was in ninth or 10th grade yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff I'm reading about that kind of shift is, um, you know, puberty is happening earlier, so adolescence is itself is starting earlier, and so they're starting to wrestle with identity questions and relationships questions, as well as biology, um, all those things. And then our shift from uh, just the way that news and the way that social media and technology have allowed students to be connected across the globe, uh, with yeah. natural disasters, with um, violence, and all those kind of things, has made them aware of stuff that at a much younger age, um, and then they're they're not really launching into what we would traditionally call adulthood right. on independence on their own um, until much later. And so that what what is that uh, the fact that it's being elongated doing yeah. to them is is I think something yeah we don't really know. Um, and I, I've been thinking a little bit about this as a, as a youth minister, how in many ways a lot of our, our discipleship or, or faith formation has centered around kind of three R's, if you will, like um, your, your reading of, of the Bible, mm-hmm. um, your, your repentance or your you know, confession of sins and stuff, and then your, your relationship with God. And what, what does that really mean? And relationship is probably just prayer or something. Mm-hmm. So how much time are you saying you're sorry how much time are you reading the Bible, right. and how much time are you praying? And if um, if they aren't doing those things very much, then we just say, "Well, do more." Yeah. And that's not really necessarily helping them deal with their parents' lack of faith, or uh, a divorce, or a violence at school, or sexual identity, mm-hmm. all those kind of things. I think uh, you know, reading the Bible is one of those deals 
where it's like it's important, but one of the things that I don't think we've done a good job in youth ministry and children's ministry and maybe a lot of churches is teaching a way to read scripture that's life-giving, right? Um, so when you read, you know, I remember growing up and, you know, you read Noah's Ark and it was like all of a sudden it was this fun song about animals and two by two. Uh, but then like the real meat of the story was this sort of moral, right? Like don't mm-hmm. be like the rest of the culture and then God will save you kind of mentality. And so uh, we've, we've really flattened out the text where mm-hmm. um, it becomes just about morals. And so... That's not. That, I haven't found that to be life giving in 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 my life. Um, to read the same text and walk away. Well, I'm not supposed to lie, cheat, or steal. You know, um, I, I, we need to teach a different way of reading scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, one that is more open, I think, to the spirit, more open to the idea that this is the living word of God. And so, what does that mean? And and how does that shape our lives? Versus, oh, I've I've read this. I figured it out. I know the moral, I know the secret to the story, and so I can go on and, and put it into our lives. Um, I'm fond of telling my kids uh, on when we have conversations, like um, I'm not really interested in telling them not to cheat or not to steal because uh, I have kids, parents who I trust who are teaching their kids that. Mm-hmm. What I want to do is have the conversation of, okay, you know it's wrong to steal or cheat, but so why do we do it? Right. You know, why in that moment do you do that? In hopes of maybe getting to the larger, to the larger question of identity, right? Of saying, mm-hmm. okay, uh, if you, did you cheat because your identity is so tied up in your grades and so tied up in this idea of pursuing that American dream of, you know, the job and the two cars and the picket fence that you, you're afraid of failure. Right. And so that drive allowed you to cheat versus, like, you know it's wrong, so, but why are we doing it? Why, why are you? Why is the statistics like 80% of kids admit cheating on tests or something like that? I think that statistic may be wrong. Um, well, but, but the, just the fact that we are, um, as a society, focused on metrics where kids can cheat and things, yeah. whereas I think you and I would both say that uh, handing a kid a Bible quiz after a year in youth group is not really going to test whether they've yeah. got it. Um, which is what we're looking for is more of how are, how are they problem solving? How are they addressing um, the things that they're facing in their life through a Christian perspective and worldview? Um, and that happens through, through really engaging with those tough questions where it's like, yeah. um, what is going on and why? Yeah, if Jesus, if, if, if your thought is, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about cheating, your immediate thought is, oh, Jesus doesn't like this, you know, Maybe that's better than not thinking about Jesus, but mm-hmm. I'd rather that student think like, I don't have to cheat because I know that Jesus loves me, right? right? I know that that's true. And so my identity, I can survive not passing this test or not getting 100% or whatever that it that may be. Um, so I don't think we're teaching people how to read scripture mm-hmm. or even pray. I mean, I think sometimes our prayers become Christmas lists and, yeah. um, you know, moral therapeutic deism that mm-hmm. Christian Smith, you know, kind of... Uh, coined um, in the early 2000s, I think. I think all of those are still things that we're wrestling with in youth ministry and trying to figure yeah. out. And I love the fact that in many ways we're reapportioning that and saying, yeah, and I think Christian Smith even has says this in his research. He's identifying that moralistic therapeutic deism in students, but he assumes that that's because parents really hold oh, yeah. that and adults hold that yeah. uh, view. And so... As we think about um, those kind of things, I think 
we have to look in the mirror too sometimes where we're modeling oh yeah mtd we've got some students in the background setting up tents and stuff so yeah for the um, evening session for the evening session which means we probably have to wrap this up but, yeah no uh, it's this, been great having the conversation it has and i it's added value to my life um as i hope it adds value to our listeners um however many there are at some point i mean our parents that's right. Our Actually, parents. my parents won't listen to this. Maybe well, my wife. Your wife. Yeah, my wife will listen to it. No, that's nice. Because I force her to. But, <laughs> um, So, yeah, actually, uh, I haven't let you talk about this, but you always love to remind me that I, I owe my job at Glendale uh, to you. And, and it's actually true. Yeah. I want the listeners to know that it's, it is actually true um, because, let's see, uh, just to set the stage and then you can share yeah. what you remember of the time, I was uh, – getting ready to move on from San Diego and I was work, working on my uh, degree at Fuller. It just started and I was thinking about um, where I wanted to maybe go to next and then I kind of got this decision to, you know, I was going to stay in San Diego and I was just going to do the mm-hmm. commute thing and, um, and so I, I kind of committed to staying and two months in, or no, less than that, um, I get this phone call from you. Uh, and it's kind of like, yo, man, like, I think you should consider, I, I have this friend, Brian, and I didn't know Brian at all. So, yeah. um, I kind of was like, well, I know Zach and I really took your advice to take the phone call. So I, I'm glad, I'm really am grateful that, that you called yeah. me about Well, it. the fact that you've been there for as long as you have is a testimony to just how great you are doing what you do, Lars. So, I mean, as much as. I like to take credit for getting you the job. I mean, you've, you've made it your own. I know Glendale um, is really blessed to have you there. Yeah, I mean, I had gone through a, an earlier situation like that where um, I knew I wanted to stay in Southern California, but I knew the context that I was in was not going to be the context that I needed to stay in for, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of reasons. And I think um, everyone has different reasons for moving on when they do. Um, and the great thing about sort of the group that we had talked about earlier is that, um, you know, we all kind of look out for each other. We're mm-hmm. all invested in helping each other stay in Southern California because we think God has called us to Southern California and to do youth ministry. And it's not, you know, it's different. You know, it's, a, it's different from the Midwest. It's different than, you know, the Northwest. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Southern California has its own sort of unique groove and so when you get someone and they're, they're they've stayed a couple years you, you have this vested interest in making sure that they stay and um that led me to kind of thinking man i i'm, I'm good friends with brian we went to pepperdine together and i know lars i think that would be a good fit and uh, so i made the phone call and just said hey i i know you're wanting to stay but um and you made that commitment but it may be that god's maybe given you this opportunity and, and that worked and I think hopefully the group kind of helped you through that process too, you know, you, as yeah. you thought about it and prayed about it and shared what was going on in your life. I think that's one of the strengths of our, of our, of our weekly lunch meetings of getting together is we know what's going on in each other's lives and we can pray for each other. Um, but also in Southern California, we have guys who have been there 15 years, 20 years with a lot of wisdom yeah. that kind of help you process and, and be a part of that. You know, I've been coming up on 10 years in youth ministry and you know i feel like um i'm thankful to you know people like jack williamson and and donnie goodwin and dan henniger who were all here before i was and they've moved on and so the group's a little bit different but i'm glad that you you gave us at least three tries to convince you to be part of the group i know right (laughs) yeah and and we were talking about this like it 
it really is something rare, um, even here within Southern California. I mean, I've been a part of some ecumenical groups of youth pastors that's gotten together, but it's, it's an educational time. We come mm-hmm. together to talk about an event that we're going to do, and then the group just kind of dwindles afterwards, yeah. and the relationships aren't really that deep. And, you know, sometimes uh, we tease each other uh, to no end, and sometimes, um, you know, we get to the end of our time, and We've, we've really let God be part of our laughter and our mm-hmm. tears. Um, and I think that's something special, something incredibly rare uh, that I haven't seen anywhere else. And I haven't even come across very many people who describe those yeah. kind of relationships with anyone else yeah. uh, in ministry. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely been something that has, uh, has added value to my life. Uh, so, Zach, as we just close, anything that you want to... Uh, say to to this you know, uh, group of people who are trying to add value to their lives, you know, um, what what would you say is your parting words? Yeah, I think uh, the relationships matter, you know, if especially within youth ministry, but for those listeners who aren't, just having those friendships to, to add value and um, have good conversations. I, I think reading, you know, whether or not you read well or don't read well, you know, audible.com, mm-hmm. you know, or some other you know, book source or something like that. I, I think those are those are important things to kind of help us um, grow and learn. Um, and then at, right now, I just feel like listening well. We all need to learn how to listen a little bit better and, and be a little bit more patient. Um, so those are sort of my, my thoughts. And um, I appreciate you inviting me on and having the conversation. Always appreciate your insight and, and friendship, Lars. Yeah, thanks, man. And... Uh... I'm sure you'll be back on very soon. All right. Bye. Let's go back to impact. All right. That was a podcast with Zach. Always good times. And definitely looking forward to next week's podcast, also with a student minister, a youth minister, a friend of mine uh, from NorCal. And uh, so stay tuned uh, for more podcasts this month. And if you have a suggestion for somebody, go to our website, go to our Facebook page, and um, let me know who I should be getting in touch with and having conversations with. You guys are awesome. Thanks for tuning in to Value Add. For more great conversations and insights, visit valueaddconversations.com.